Hey guys, my name is Daniel and I am your host on the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Follow along when we talk with industry professionals about all things post-production and retouching. I'm sure it will either be entertaining or educational. So please enjoy. Let's get started with the AdWord Retouch podcast. And today's episode, I have a guest, a friend of mine who is also a retoucher. Uh, his name is Kai. Hello, Kai, and welcome on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. For this episode, I want to introduce a little bit of a new format to the show. And we will begin with a little overview of um, getting a perspective on what Kai is doing. And I would like to have Kai give us a quick overview of what he's doing. And then later on, we will dive a little bit deeper in all the topics we just mentioned. So let's do this. Yes, as you said, I'm a retoucher. I'm currently doing this full time. I niched down to mainly doing beauty and portrait retouching. I also do fashion from time to time, but usually I share fashion with another retoucher and we're working together. So, okay, that's a very brief and quick overview. To get started again, you're a full-time retoucher and I want to get into a little bit of what retouching is about and then maybe you can start with telling us a little bit uh, about how you got into the field of retouching in the first place. And yeah, then I have a few questions more to where we can take things. Yeah, so let's start with how you actually got into retouching because I think uh, for most people, it's interesting to see how people got where they are. And especially because there's not one path to follow and there's not uh, an education you ha can take to become a retoucher. So maybe you can get into this first. Yeah, of course. It's kind of a long story. Um, a couple of years ago, I think it's five years ago, I basically did nothing with my life. Uh, I was gaming all day long and I wanted to change that. So I bought a camera and actually wanted to film with it. So I was totally into filming and YouTube, Devin Supertramp was a big inspiration and I wanted to do the same thing. And after a while, I realized that you need people who do the same thing with the same passion to create stuff. And I didn't know anyone who also is into the creative field. So I started doing photography because I could do this on my own, just run around and shoot everything from the flower to the pretty girl from the neighborhood. Then I dived deeper into photography and learned more about it. I was curious about people photography And pretty soon I realized I wanted to work in the beauty and fashion industry. So I started shooting models, uh, started with hobby models who thought they were models and I thought they were models. 
bit later down the road, I reached out to model agencies, uh, got their models. And at some point, I realized I am a bad photographer. There probably were worse photographers, but I would have never reached the level of being able to work where I wanted to work. Right. I think that often happens. And it was the same for me. And um, I just recently in the episode, I introduced myself. It was a little bit the same experience. So you pick up a camera and you start shooting and then you notice, okay, you kind of making progress, but you still rely on maybe Photoshop or to fix things or trying to get better and you're still not you, you have this picture in your head where you want to end up with and you're not getting there so um, i think some people just give up at that point and keep doing what they're always doing and other people they change things so how was it for you so have you changed from there on well it took me two shoots to realize i suck <laughs> at what i do But I was already doing retouching on the side. So I already did um, a couple of collaborations. And when I finally realized that photography isn't quite for me, uh, then I just put away the camera and didn't pick it up ever since. Um, I started to completely focus on retouching and learning more on doing editorials and collaborations, getting clients, and I've never looked back to photography. Okay. It was, it, it felt like a relief to stop doing photography because now I could focus a hundred percent on doing retouching, getting better there. And I am far closer to my goal than I would have been in photography. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. If you feel like uh, having found your passion and putting all your effort in it, then you're growing and getting better uh, on a much quicker rate than trying to spread all your efforts into different things and not getting better in any of them. Yes, I'm also a big fan of niching down. I mean, you can, you can't really learn multiple things get great at it you need to focus on one thing and and master it otherwise you're check of all trades and master of none and who wants that yeah obviously um most people want to be successful uh, at something but i also think uh, most people don't dedicate themselves in a way they could also finding the things they are good in because we're not all equal and we have maybe just in all the effort in the thing where that doesn't make us successful so sometimes it's just a good idea to take a step back and think about what you might be able to change in your life and where you might take things so it's all like a journey and yeah i mean it's a it's a complicated thing if you're kind of stuck and it gets easier when you find the confidence in uh knowing that you are on the right track so okay you uh, eventually got into retouching and found your passion and i know you like doing what you're doing and getting better every day and looking for bigger and bigger clients so you briefly mentioned it before but which is your favorite field of retouching to work in 
Yes, it's beauty. Beauty and portraits. I like uh, close-ups. I like details. I enjoy detail work a lot. And I have a feeling that I just have a natural feel of what looks uh, what looks good. I look at the image and I see what has to be fixed and what is a disturbance in the image. And I can't really explain it. Usually comes from my gut and the clients like it. At least it seems like it. What you also mentioned uh, working in fashion and re working on fashion images as well. So how do you think um, are they different and what you like more about the beauty thing than you like about working on fashion images? Well, as I said, I like details a lot. I like when you have really crisp skin structure which you usually don't see that much in fashion because of course you're closer in beauty than you are in fashion in fashion um, colors and composition and all that matters more than the detail work of course it matters a lot in beauty and portrait as well so for me it's also the same i do both fashion but also beauty and i personally also like beauty much better just because of the fact that i am super drawn to faces and the facial structure and shapes and how humans are so different and then another thing i notice is like there are quite some men working in fashion like doing post-production but for beauty images it's due to the topic of The purpose of creating uh, beauty images is mostly to advertise for makeup and stuff. And therefore, it's it's kind of mostly women, I would say. And I get it a lot, like getting asked how you as a man can do it because I'm not experienced like women who do their own makeup and stuff like this. So have you ever encountered something similar, like uh, getting weird questions or what I also get is um, when you know stuff about how makeup is applied and seeing it in real life for girls who are not as experienced like a professional makeup artist. I'm actually a pretty big makeup fan. I love walking through drugstores and check out the latest makeup, uh, put it on my hands and when it glitters, it's the best. And yeah, I also enjoy seeing the makeup work the artists do on the faces. And also, uh, my girlfriend is a photographer, and whenever she has a makeup artist there, I usually look what they are doing uh, so I can learn from it, because you can learn from everything and apply it to your profession. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're obviously being interested in the topic itself helps you grow and also stay up to date with the current trends uh, which is important because as a retoucher we have to know why something was applied the way it was uh, because otherwise we might maybe fix something that was not supposed to be fixed or other scenarios i could imagine um, but yeah having this interest is i think really valuable yeah again as a man it's usually not expected so i sometimes get weird questions and i mean For you, working with your girlfriend and um, being super into makeup, it's probably a different story than it is for me. So, yeah. Well, yes, I also get a lot of questions about 
what I actually do. Uh, I live pretty rural and for people here, a photographer is the small town photographer who does the wedding shots of some couple and they don't really know there is an entire beauty industry or even the need of retouchers. They ask a lot of questions what I do there and why this even is needed and if they could just send me their selfies and I would make them pretty. And I try to dodge all those questions <laughs> as good as possible because I'm just tired of telling them what this is actually about and you probably also know the the entire discussion if retouching is bad or not yeah sure but uh, i think it's an interesting topic to talk about is uh, which clients we work for and running it as an online business versus living in a more countryside area and having local businesses local photographers with much different needs and i i can agree some of them they don't have The experience with retouchers, they might ask questions if who would pay the amount of money we get for all the retouching and if there is even a market for it. But obviously, they just come from their standpoint of what their business is based off. And that's a completely different world. So if they're shooting for private clients, that's completely different than advertising agencies and photographers working on yeah, advertising campaigns. So that's a whole other ball game and not everyone in smaller cities understand the concept so yeah maybe a little bit later we uh, talk a little bit about how we might reach out to clients and how our business model might be structured so the next thing i want to get into is so we talked a little bit about how you got into retouching and which fields you are working in and also a little bit of what i do um so The next thing is uh, I want to transition a little bit into workflow stuff. And the first question I have is, uh, let's talk a little bit about the stuff you're using to get work done. So first questions, we all have to use some sort of computer. And first question will be, are you a PC guy or are you a Mac guy? 100% PC guy. Okay, so no hate here uh, to the, all the Mac users. I'm a PC guy as well. Maybe you want to explain why you like PCs better than Macs? Because I have always used PCs. Uh, I have the feeling with a PC I get more bang for the buck. I can build them myself. I can administrate them myself, which you could technically do with a Mac as well. But yeah, Macs are expensive. That is one of the biggest reasons I don't have the customizability I have with a computer. I think Macs are great if you buy into the entire Apple ecosystem, because that's what it actually is for. I mean, you can't really benefit from it, but if you have the entire ecosystem, it's actually pretty cool. But for my work, My PC is fine, and I also don't use any other Apple products, so it's pretty clear where I will stay. Okay, so it gets the job done, and it's cheaper and more efficient for you. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to start the discussion, but I think it's like a nice teaser question, because everyone has an opinion uh, why they're sticking with one or the other. 
so yeah, but other than computers, what are you using? Are you using a tablet? I hope you're not using a mouse. Um, I mean, I know you're not using a mouse, but I think I've even seen like when you're browsing YouTube and watching videos uh, and you hear the clicking noises when I'm recording tutorials. And I'm like, man, you're not really professional. You're using a mouse. And again, so let's talk about the other hardware you're using to get your retouching work done. Well, first of all, I use, of course, my Wacom Intuos Pro S. I prefer the S over the bigger ones because I don't want to move my arm around for eight hours a day. Some people use a smaller projection, some use the normal one, and I also use the normal one. I tried the smaller projection, but it wasn't for me. It was a bit too fiddly. Well, well. I mean, I, I'm a guy using really small areas, but I can understand like when you're really zoomed out and uh, it gets super hard to work precisely. But yeah, a small Wacom tablet is also what I always recommend for retouching uh, because I think it's, it's much different the approach and the type of hand movements we are doing compared to people who are drawing our digital painting and um, that's why I tend to recommend like a smaller version uh, it also keeps your desk a little bit cleaner and nicer and more ergonomic so yeah I think it, it sounded like yeah like you see it the same it's more efficient and you don't have to lift your arms as much as you would have with a bigger tablet I just wish it had more buttons But oh, interesting. unfortunately, the small one only has six. And, well, I would just need a couple of more buttons above the rocker ring because the three buttons below I normally don't use, but I could use some more above. <laughs> okay, so you are using a PC, probably using Windows and your tablet. Have you any other accessories you rely on let's talk about maybe uh, monitors because color what we're seeing and calibration is a big part of our work usually so what are you using there i use an ice screen it's a 24 inch model which came in at a pretty affordable price for a professional screen and i'm actually pretty happy with it um, I also prefer 24 inch over 27 inch because it doesn't really matter at all if you are zoomed out or even zoomed in because the actual image size doesn't really change. You just have further to go with your cursor if you have a larger screen, which I don't really see the benefit of. Well, yeah, I think the, the only advantage is, except from your image, you can have more stuff open at the same time. Um, but the other thing is, if you really need it while retouching. So I have some stuff open for myself that I sometimes just take cleansed and that's it. So otherwise, it's just comfort to not have to click anywhere to, to open it up. But I could also work on a smaller, like a... When I'm working on the uh, Cintiq, it's much smaller. But yeah, as you can zoom in and out, it becomes kind of irrelevant to a certain degree of how large your monitor is. So it's not like doing uh, video editing where you benefit from having these super wide monitors. Uh, so I think 
you're good as long as you're investing in a in a quality monitor that can display all the colors and is accurate and you can calibrate it. I would say that's much more important than the size of the monitor. Another really important thing is the color uniformity and light uniformity, uh, which is also better the smaller the screen is. They're usually using edge lighting in some sort. And yeah, therefore they, are, they might have areas in the corners that are not illuminated properly or in the middle of the screen, they're not the same as uh, at the edges and stuff like this. I've seen that as well. So, okay, that's the monitor you're using. You're using an ISO 24 inch, uh, using a computer, running it on Windows. For calibration, is the ISO uh, a model that has the calibrator built in or do you have an external one? I have an X-Rite i1 in use because my ISO doesn't have an integrated calibration device. And as far as I know, they are only for proofing, aren't they? You can basically use their software as you're using the X-Rite software to automate the process. So what it can do is um, you can tell the ISO monitors to calibrate themselves. So maybe every week overnight and it just as long as it has power, it pops out and does the calibration for you on an automatic basis so you can basically forget it but on the other hand it's uh, when it's built in and it doesn't work properly anymore you have to to invest in an external one or get a new monitor so that's the downside of having a calibrator built in and as for calibration what are your calibration targets usually what what are your preferred settings for calibrating yes i'm pretty far off from everyone else <laughs> as far as i found out first of all i'm sitting in a controlled environment all my light bulbs are 5000 kelvin and no light from outside leads in so i also calibrate my screen to 5000 kelvin and i have it pretty low lit i think i'm at 80 candela mm -hmm. It makes sense. Um, so I have written articles about color calibration or monitor calibration, and I tend to also take in account, well, like when I am working on my desk, how the light that is on uh, might influence my color vision. So I'm usually a little bit warmer than 65D. And for you, having all your lights at uh, 50D, makes sense to also calibrate to that white point and depending on on how bright they are so if you can dim them down obviously not going to need like a 120 candela brightness so i mean we have standards and obviously when you are using a software and just applying something it does the job if you don't know what you're doing but it's not necessarily the ideal setting for you maybe I also like working uh, with really dim lights around me just to minimize the effect of how it might influence how I see what's going on on my monitor. And therefore, I also put the brightness way down. I think also like 80 or 90, uh, something around that, which usually is fine when you have a, a good monitor. And it's also better for your eyes. Yeah, uh, the thing how I like to explain is, is um, the brighter your environment, uh, the brighter your monitor should be. But if your monitor is bright and the, your environment is dark, it's getting really tiring for your eyes over time. Yeah, because 
obviously you don't have any light around and the only light you're getting is blasting right into your eyes. It isn't really a comfortable thing to be around with. And the settings like um, 65D, 120 candelas per square meter usually come from, so if you are at roof desk or if you are trying to match your monitor to a light box that has a fixed illumination. So then it becomes uh, much more important how your values are chosen because you're matching two different medias. Other than that, you're matching to your environment, uh, which makes sense to me. I mean, other people obviously recommend differently for some reasons, but it's nice to see that other people also take this in account where they are set up and how the light looks around them. So that's nice to see from my side that you are doing that. And I can also just recommend having a look at where you put your monitor, what you have around yourself because everything is influencing you. So if you're wearing like a bright yellow shirt, sitting in the dark and having super bright monitor, you will get color bones from your shirt going up into your eyes and stuff like this. And some people, they might not notice this like being affected, but usually you are in some way or the other. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Good thing I don't really own any colorful t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, black, all right. It's usually the way to go, right? Exactly. <laughs> so who needs colors anyways? Um, I mean, I, I would assume... Yeah. <laughs> Seeing you in a, uh, a neon pink shirt, it would be fun, but probably not going to happen. And if so, I I wanna wanna have a picture of it. I almost bought a, a knitted pink shirt a couple of months ago, but we decided for a red knitted shirt, which is also cool. But I wanted the pink shirt, so I'm kind of a goofy guy sometimes. Yeah, but you're probably not wearing it while retouching. Maybe we should do t-shirts, like a retouching outfit in the most annoying colors, just for fun. So anyways, <laughs> the next thing I want to talk about is like we talked about the hardware and all the stuff. So now let's get into which software you're using to get your work done. And so uh, maybe talk about the software you're using. So for raw processing, image editing, and then we can transition into, or maybe you start explaining how your workflow is set up from start, like opening up and then talking a little bit about the software um, as you go. Well, for a start, I use Capture One for the entire raw conversion. So you're importing your files from your clients. So I know both Lightroom and Capture One, they have um, image libraries um, where you can tag and sort through your images. But Capture One also offers you the option to just work session-based and not catalog-based. So which is your preferred way to doing it? I actually prefer the cataloging of Lightroom because I think it is way easier to see where all the files are. Um, still, I work session-based in Capture One. I do the project, I import the files, start matching the images, uh, Lightwise, and then I go to Photoshop. So I don't really do a lot in raw processing. I make sure the images are properly exposed. They are all have kind of the same exposure. Uh, maybe open up the shadows a bit to get uh, to bring the details back in order to get a good foundation for your retouching, right? 
Exactly. And one of the most important things, drag the sharpening down to zero, because it can mess up all your cloning. So yeah, as far as I know, uh, there's a setting in Capture One also to uh, export the image and disable the sharpening completely. And I do that for most cases, or also drag the sharpening down. For once, I think there are way too many images out there that are completely over sharpened. Um, they have artifacts and people just might not be aware of how destructive sharpening can be and how it can diminish the quality of your image. And there are also other ways of making an image appear sharper without the super small radius sharpening going on in the image because that easily creates artifacts and you can't get rid of them anymore without even more diminishing the quality because you maybe might be able to blur it but again you won't be able to get the original quality back so i can agree on sharpening if necessary later but i'm a fan of sharpening as little as possible yeah i also barely do any sharpening to the image because it's usually not not needed i can't even remember when i When was the last time I sharpened an image? Yeah, I also rarely get um, clients to get back to me and ask for more sharpness anyway. So I think we have a tendency because also there are a lot of tutorials out there explaining how to sharpen. And it might be an easy way for people to think they are enhancing their images. But um, I think also there are better ways to enhance images in a more quality way as well. I think all there's to say about sharpening, not sharpening too much, and too much usually is sharpening, basically. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about your workflow. Um, is there a preferred color space you are working in? And also, when you are delivering your images, which file formats are you exporting in, which color profiles and stuff like this. So I think that's also interesting for the listeners to, to hear about. Well, I work in Adobe RGB because why would I want to miss out on any color, especially if my screen enables me to, to see them. When I export the files, I usually give the client a couple of, of exports. I usually export them a web version, a high-res in sRGB. Then I also give them a Facebook version with the right resolution for Facebook. And of course, they will get a high-res flattened PSD with Adobe RGB. I even wrote them a little note how they properly export their Adobe RGB file to whatever they want. Yeah, it's a good thing to know because like we always expect the other side to do the right thing, but sometimes it's it's good to just include a little note how to treat it the best way possible. So it can't harm to set up a routine and to always include such notes to your clients. Or at least what I always ask how the preferred way for delivering the format is or the, the file is uh, in terms of the color profile because um, like editorial um, they might directly work with a printer and others they will push the files further to someone else um, and that might influence 
how they want the files to be delivered, basically. So yeah, it can be a confusing topic to the client and, and the uh, contractor side if it's not clear how to deliver it. So either way, giving it different options is a good way, I think, or um, setting up the communication in a way that it's super clear to both sides how to deliver the files and how the result of the work should be delivered. Yeah, instructions of uh, from the printer is as good as it gets. <laughs> but it's not always the case that you have clear instructions. And I don't know if you're talking to an art director or creative director or whatever, they usually have other things in their mind than color profiles and stuff. They might you not even know what all that is about. Okay, enough of, of color talks because like we know color is not important, right? <laughs> well, it is, but back to retouching. As, as we went over what gear you are using to sum this up, you are working on a computer using Windows, using Capture One for raw processing mostly, and uh, then Photoshop. Um, you are working in Adobe RGB because you have uh, this fancy ISO monitor, which also is capable of displaying, I guess, 98% at least of Adobe RGB. And then you're exporting in different formats for your clients. But what I want to get into is to get away from the hardware stuff. Can you give us one thing that has changed not your life, but how you approach things and was one of the bigger influences of, of yours and which you would have wished to know earlier on in your retouching career? Zooming out. Zooming out literally changed the way I work. It changed how my images end up. Uh, they look a lot better. I save a lot of work, uh, save a lot of time. So zooming out, I mean, I know what you mean, but there are probably some people who don't understand how zooming out can make such a difference. So you talk about like it's saving work, but can you just reference as uh, what happens when you're zooming out of the image and what changes for you? What have you done differently? Like what actually is the stuff that saves you time doing that? Well, usually when people come from frequency separation and band stop and filters like that, they are super happy that they now know about Dutch and Burn, which is super cool and the best way to read their skin. Well, it is. Well, and when they start doing Dutch and Burn, they are all, they go all in, they zoom in and start retouching every pore with dodge and burn even everything out and are super happy with it but if you look at the image as a whole you see all the the big blotches the weird shadows and it doesn't really look good to them it looks good because they lack the experience and the trained eye to to really see the problem and they think they did everything right and so did i um but then i was taught to just zoom out and zoom out a bit more to get the bigger picture and when i do that i usually zoom out so far that the image is just a little like a stamp stamp size yeah right 
I mean, we're using technology and being able to get into a bird's field of view or looking at the whole picture, so to speak, like taking a step back to see the whole picture, like on a painting. So you can have all the details, but taking like one or two steps back, you can reference it in a different way than you can while standing in front of it, just one foot away, um, because you don't even see what's going on on the edges anymore. Um, because of your field of view and stuff like this. And yeah, so I can understand like how taking a step back, literally zooming out is the same. So when, when did that change? You briefly mentioned is like you have learned dodge and burn on a different scale, so to speak. And I know there are techniques and they call it mostly uh, micro dodge and burn. And they're getting into like evening out skin pores and stuff like this. So how would you explain how long it took you to get away from this approach? And maybe you, you even remember uh, what got you away from it and how it felt saving the time and changing your approach on this technique. Um, it didn't take me too long because uh, I have two great mentors who always tell me what i do wrong so i never did anything right and i've learned from it so it changed my workflow drastically and i don't really zoom in ever since especially if you work for for web or just small prints it often isn't really necessary so i start zoomed out and work my my way in until everything looks just fine Yeah, and it feels great to have the feeling of having learned something new uh, that improved the entire workflow. But it always makes you question yourself what there is now that you don't know. And there always is something you don't know. And there always is new stuff to learn. And I'm still learning every day. And I still get the most eye opening little hints or, or tips what i could change so it basically means to always keep striving to get better and to be aware of not knowing everything and to be aware of making an effort to get better every day is getting you where you actually want to be uh, otherwise you you might just learn something and reapply it to to your situation but maybe your situation might change at some point And it doesn't work anymore. So it's always good to have different tools in your toolbox and yeah, learning uh, and keep learning. Yeah, stagnation is a bad thing. So I always try to get better, be it retouching itself or my business skills or whatever. Yeah, and business skills are at least equally important than the retouching skills, right? Well, I think you need the retouching skills in order to even start a business. Otherwise, you're just a fraud. And everything that comes then is business skills. Of course, you learn more about retouching, but you should be there that you can already do uh, right, paid jobs. Right, right. And then you have to learn about like uh, running a business and doing your taxes and all that stuff. That nobody really wants to do, but we all have to do it in some way or the other. Yeah, it's a big part. 
And speaking of clients, a lot of people struggle with uh, approaching clients and how to get clients. And one part you have already mentioned is uh, to be good in the first place. Uh, otherwise, you might get a lot of denials to your requests of uh, working for other people. And yeah, maybe you can explain like, I know you are, are now working as a full-time retoucher. So um, how was it for you to get into the field of retouching uh, because obviously you at some point you haven't had any clients so do you maybe remember your first client um yes i think i do i think it was um expanding the backdrop of a portrait which i did in one minute for 10 euros well yeah but I mean, it was a paid job, so it was. Yes, <laughs> why not doing it? It's, it's still like ten years is a good income for like one minute of work. So, what things for approaching clients? Not necessary. Uh, we don't have to get into the sequences like how you you approach your clients in a direct way. So, um, I mean, there's like little secrets everyone has to have, and everyone has a little bit of a different approach, but. How is your advertising maybe set up? Where do you want people to go to find you? And which are the places you might look actively or inactively for clients like social media or do you, how, how do you tend to interact? Because like we, we mentioned before, it's not like a local business where you knock on doors. Uh, so how do you like to approach it for your clients? Well, I don't specifically look for clients, to be honest. I do a shit ton of collaborations and editorial work and all that stuff. And most of my clients came through mouth to mouth. And I just look for great photographers to collaborate with. And if they like my work, they will eventually hire me for their jobs because they of course also have a lot of work to do and they right. need a retoucher they frequently work with retouchers or they haven't yet but they are starting out so it's kind of an investment in a future business relationship And it's a good advice I also can give is like, you need, as a retoucher, you, you need a portfolio for your credibility and to showcase what you're capable of doing and the quality you can deliver. And it also might pay off putting in the effort to collaborations or to get, uh, to do free work basically uh, for getting the images to showcase what you're doing. So, um, yeah, a lot of people, they just instantly want to get into like, how can I get paid clients and stuff like this? And maybe you should look for people and do free work and build your portfolio and stuff like this. So you, you're also, even as a full-time retoucher, recommending uh, like going that route of doing free work, building your portfolio and making connections on the way instead of just cold calling and stuff like this. So from a business point, I also see is like, you're not cold calling and asking like, hey, can you give me work? So you're more like, hey, I have something to offer to your business. And at some point they see the value then in, in it and might consider paying you for it. 
or hiring you for an upcoming project because they like working with you, who you are uh, and stuff like this. Do you see it the same way or do you have people asking you uh, as well how you get into to retouching and the client work? So maybe to sum up, what are your recommendations for starting people to who want to get into retouching? How could they approach the situation? What are your specific recommendations? Well, first of all, learn what great images look like. Uh, then look for photographers who do those great images. You can learn about it if you just subscribe to Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or Numero and just learn how good images from the industry look like. Then you can write photographers. There are groups for collaborations. Uh, where I started out and got my first editorial works. And I also look for photographers who shot cool editorials in magazines. There are websites like models.com where you can only find really good photographers and really good people from the industry because they have a certain level required to even list you. So it's given that the quality is high. And from there, I also send out cold emails to suggest a collaboration. And sometimes they get back to me and sometimes they don't. So that's how I reach out to people and get connections. Okay, so we've talked about so many things in this episode. And Before we end this episode, where can people find your work? You can find my work at aurora-retouch.com and on Instagram. I think the handle is the same. Okay. So these are your preferred ways to showcase your work as well. It just popped up your website and you have a lot of beauty images, some commercial work that is nice and some portraits. Mostly like also the beauty images you're doing and it showcases your passion for the field of beauty as well. Yeah, it's a nice portfolio overall, I would say. And I want to say thank you for uh, making the time and talking to me and agreeing on recording this episode. And I think there's a lot of value for people in there. And uh, yeah, Thanks again for making the time and talking about all the stuff and little secrets you have going on in your life. Maybe you can give us an inspirational source of yours to end this episode uh, where you like to go to look at, at quality stuff or whatever might be an inspiration for you. Well, as I said, I have a monthly subscription to the Vogue magazine. I also love photo books, uh, especially Vogue has some pretty cool photo books of the last hundred years of Vogue. So again, thank you, Kai, for making the time and talking to us. Uh, it was a really pleasant talk and I really appreciate having you on the show. So yeah, maybe we can at some further point have you back on the show, talk a little bit about different stuff. But I think it was a great introduction to you and the work you're doing. And thank you again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
So guys, that was it. I'm gonna get out of here. I really appreciate that you have stick around for this long and I would also like to see you in the next episode. See you then. Bye bye.